0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join
1: this week's conversation. are listening to Mortification of Spin. So glad that you take the time to listen to us. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I'm joined as always by my friend, Carl Truman, who teaches at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. He is a world traveler. People cannot get enough of you, Carl. Every time I look up, I I see you somewhere in the world um, holding forth, keeping your audiences in rapt attention—it's quite remarkable. How do you do uh, this?
0: I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm I'm just channeling my inner Elvis. I guess <laughs> I, I, I so. Guess you know. so. Yeah. I guess um, so.
1: Now you were just down in, uh, of course, we're recording this. It's it's uh, uh, right around the middle of January. Yeah. Um, but you were just down in uh, in Florida with our friend uh, Matt. You uh, see, w- West Palm Beach. Yeah. A um, little bit different than uh, western Pennsylvania, right?
0: Yeah, although it, it, with, with the exception of a couple of hours on the Saturday morning, it mm-hmm. poured with rain the entire time oh, we were there. Nice. I mean, it was warm enough. It, right. it was between 60 and 80 degrees at any given point, but no, it was lashing down with rain. So my wife and I did sit outside on
1: mm-hmm. Matt's,
0: uh, in Matt's sort of Florida room. Right. Got some fresh air, uh, but it was- now- it was not quite the Florida trip we had hoped.
1: Right. For. Now, now, did he drive you uh over the bridge to the island, to Palm Beach Island? Did you drive by Mar-a-Lago?
0: We didn't go by Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Uh, my, my big request was to be driven by the canals to see some alligators. Oh. Well. I have seen alligators in the wild before at uh, Key uh-huh. Island, but I wanted Katrina, my wife, to see an alligator in the wild. And we did spot one just okay. just breaking the surface mm-hmm. uh in the in the canals. It's there are yeah, you know, it's our the present Leviathan. day dinosaurs.
1: Yeah, it's our present yeah, day dinosaurs. Yeah, they
0: are an amazing creature.
1: Indeed, amazing creature. Indeed, but, they, they haunt the nightmares of children.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but Matt's Matt's doing well, very well. Yes.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Well, good. Well, listen, um, Carl. You and I were talking not long ago. Uh, this year is the 80th anniversary of the abolition of man. Um, C.S. Lewis's lectures that became a book Um, lectures that he was not fully persuaded were effective a book that I think he probably suspected would, would be given very little attention and probably a lot of contemporaries of him, of of his might've thought it wouldn't have gotten much attention, just given um, the esoteric nature of the philosophical categories and language he uses. But here it is 80 years later, and it's, to my knowledge, never gone out of print. You can get all kinds of different editions of it out there, as well as uh, uh, published commentaries on it. Uh, people are talking more about the abolition of man, those lectures, that book, uh, over the last 20 years probably, than they were ever when when uh, he, he first gave and, and published those lectures. That's probably true, wouldn't you say?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think what Lewis was doing… and probably was not fully aware that he was doing, was putting his finger on what would manifest itself as the underlying problem of the modern world, which is the complete collapse in the notion of, of human nature, what it right. means to be a man, what it means to be human. Right. I think Lewis, like like a lot of great books, uh, yeah, I think on the negative side, I think of some of the stuff that Nietzsche wrote in the 19th mm-hmm. century. Or on a more Christian note, you could think of some of the novels that Dostoevsky wrote in the right. 19th century. They're books that put their finger on something that's that's already going on but has not yet percolated through the whole of society. I think that's what Lewis does in The Abolition of Man. He's writing at the height of the... A Second World War. He's a right. veteran, of course, of the First World War mm-hmm. himself. He knows about man's inhumanity to man, and he puts forth these these three very brief lectures, which, in a very succinct form, put their finger on the fact that what it means to be a human being, in terms of an, we might say an agreed moral structure,
1: right.
0: is crumbling and collapsing. And he sees that that's going to be a real problem. And it's taken us, you know, 80 years to see the the full fruits of that right. uh, emerge now, within our culture.
1: Now, I think a lot of people uh, be- become fans of Lewis. They've read Narnia, they've read Mere Christianity. And so they see, oh, here's another one, Abolition of Man. And they pick it up and they say, what yeah. in the world is this? I was expecting uh, uh, Mere Christianity Part Two. And and that, you know we have to understand, and and I would like more people to to wrestle through abolition of man, particularly now for reasons you just mentioned, and and, and what we'll talk about um, a little bit more. But um, again, these were lectures originally delivered um, uh, under the 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 heading of of kind of you know religion and public life, and yet this is some of the the least quote you know theological or 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 even religious works of of Lewis's uh post-conversion career it's very philosophical um and and yet we would say that Lewis is still looking at this through a generally biblical lens because that's who he was at this point he's a christian man wrestling with some of these things and in terms of structure, you mentioned these these three lectures. The other thing I think bears repeating, and this is maybe one of the reasons why why we appreciate it, is that he's he's not he's the the kind of winsome, hopeful Lewis that we see in so much of his writing is not present in the Abolition of Man, is it?
0: No, no, it's very much. Uh... Well, again, to set it in context, this is a man uh, thinking and writing in the context of the, the Second World War. It's a very right. dark period uh, in, in in history. Uh, you can find, I, it's interesting, I was reading uh, an essay by the uh, Polish poet uh, Czesław Milosz, written mm-hmm. at around the same time, touching on very similar themes, it's very clear that the darkness that is engulfing the world, or at least uh, Europe at that particular point in time, is something that's on the mind of a lot of, of intellectuals. So, no, it's not a particularly uh, hopeful thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's also not intended to be that. It, right. It's more of a piece of cultural analysis or right. criticism. And again, I think you're right to say it. it doesn't seem to be as explicitly Christian as certainly mm-hmm. as mere Christianity or short-tape sure. letters. But what he's doing there, I think, is he's attempting to engage his audience with, with something that anybody with eyes to see should see unfolding around them. And he's, right. he's highlighting, if you like, but I think, you know, the underlying theme of the work is he's highlighting the problems that moral relativism, Mm. create for what it means to be a human being right. uh, and if that was true in 1943 44 how true is that today in 2024
1: right yeah there are some things that there are statements particularly I, w- I would say in, in in the third lecture but there are statements uh that are are chilling in their um relevance today in in what we're asking about does does being a human have any objective meaning? And he's really wanting to get at the fact that there is something objective about value. There, yeah, there's there's yeah. got to be something objective about value, or else or else all is all is lost. Yeah. And and I wonder. I mean, you know, he 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 fought in the First World War, which was. A, a, I I don't think many um, contemporary Americans can get their mind around just how savage the First World War was he saw that he was nearly nearly blown up himself and then um the second world war and and of course he was cognizant of of what was going on uh with with nazi germany and and the attempts to um rationalize evil rationalize w- wickedness um excuse it uh separate the uh the, the the heart from the mind get the heart out of this or get e- emotion or get um any idea of of trying to 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 synthesize um rationality with love or, or those kinds of things um and and he he coins this really interesting um w- well first of all just kind of explain he, he's working with metaphors here and some pretty intricate ones and he uh, he he pictures the body um and he kind of subdivides it into three sections the 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 head the chest and the stomach where's he going with that
0: well, I think again, he's he's touching on this idea of subjectivism, and he's really right. saying that you know we often talk about the, the the conflict between the head and the heart, for example. Right. Uh, and what he's what he's talking about there is you know let's say that ideas as we as we think as we have ideas, they don't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing, for example, for a, say a professional philosopher to be able to lecture on right and wrong and to be able to to talk about morality, mm-hmm. but for him to truly think in a moral way, you know, there has to be more to it than that. Um, you know, he has this phrase, "men without chests." Right. Which is slightly confusing because I think you know these days with all the mm-hmm. debates about masculinity, etc., right. etc. The the intuitive response to men without chest is he's talking about bravado, know, pigeon chested wimps, yeah, or something yeah. like this. What he's actually talking about there is we might say men without virtues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to to have, you know, it's one thing to have read kant's metaphysics of the groundwork of morals the groundwork of the metaphysics of morals and and to understand what moral mm-hmm. theology is it's another thing philosophy is it's another thing to actually have we would say moral intuitions mm-hmm. it's another thing to understand human nature as having a moral compass and a moral structure that requires us to behave in certain ways and not in others. I mean, the, the underlying theme of the book Knowledge is, you know, you pointed to these value judgments mm-hmm. have to have some kind of objective grounding. Uh, you know, he's anticipating in many ways what Alistair McIntyre will do in, in 1980 in his book After Virtue, mm-hmm. where McIntyre says, you know, the, the problem with a lot of modern moral discourse is it, it it, it, it sounds as if it's referring to good and evil.
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: But what it's actually doing is just giving expression to personal taste. Yeah. So, you know, to say murder is wrong is akin to saying, you know, I find that sculpture to be ugly. Yeah, you know, right, th- there's right. th- there's no real difference. You're you're expressing an aesthetic personal response. Mm. You're not connecting to something that's real. And the men without that ideas idea is this way of getting at that idea. It's, it's men who really have no, they have no moral. They have no moral, no no consciousness of their own moral structure.
1: Right. That so actually say, allows
0: them to behave in a moral way.
1: Right. So they've got cognition, the head. Mm. They've got um, uh, you know, desire appetites. Or- appetites the will the stomach but what's missing as he looked around was was then what he identifies in the chest which is that uh that moral filter that connects the two so that the man acts and behaves and thinks morally
0: and what we would traditionally call virtues right you know we we try to train our children as they're growing up not we don't teach them case law in terms Mm. of if you're in this situation, this is how you act. If you're in that situation, we, we try to cultivate general virtues right. so that when they're confronted with particular and often very unique situations, they intuitively know how to respond in a moral way right. uh, because they have chests. Right. They have this moral compass. They have this, this formed virtue, we mm-hmm. might say. And, and I think that's, you know, again... Yeah, and it connects to Lewis's idea. He's the idea of the Tao, right. which is you know it's a it's an Eastern idea, and and that can make Christians a little nervous sure. when they read it. But what he's referring to with the Tao is what Christian theology would traditionally call natural law. Right. You know, he's really trying to get to the idea that uh, the universe has a moral shape. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a heap of stuff. Mm-hmm. It has a moral. Shape. And, yeah. You know, would that he'd actually, you know, why he doesn't use Western Christian vocabulary yeah. to describe that,
1: who knows? Who knows? But uh, what one thing that occurred to me is that so here he is, he appeals to the Tao Eastern categories, he appeals to the Greeks, Plato, yeah. Aristotle, etc. Yeah. And and I wonder if 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 possibly what's behind that, at least in part, is an effort on his part to show that what he's talking about here is is knowledge that is written on the heart so to speak it, it's as you said natural law it is something yeah. that every culture even if they get it wrong in some of the application they they know that there's something there
0: yeah
1: that that has to be dealt with
0: yeah, the moral structure of human nature is yeah. not a social construct. Right. Now, there are some socially constructed aspects of human right. nature. We, you know, British people, American people, Koreans behave in, in in different ways, in different circumstances. What he's trying to get at is that actually, no, you know, murdering infants is wrong wherever you right. are. You know, that's just not something that a human can do without degrading their human nature, without fundamentally dehumanizing themselves mm-hmm. and in some ways you know it, it's therefore it's the kind of book that i could imagine uh, a guy like stephen pinker for example mm-hmm. who's, who's you know who's an atheist right but i can imagine stephen pinker reading lewis's abolition of man and saying you know there's a lot here i can get on board with right because you know i do believe mm-hmm. there is such a thing as human nature i do believe there is such a thing as morality we can have moral discussions right
1: And that's an interesting, that's an interesting challenge for the atheist, uh, because suddenly that thrusts them into whether they acknowledge it or not, it it thrusts, it begins to thrust them into the realm of, of, of kind of metaphysical categories that there might be something a little bit bigger than us. And Lewis, uh, you know, in, in his whole idea of, of the men without chests, basically what he's saying, if that's not working, if that's not happening, then we become less than human. Yeah, yeah. That we're no longer like, like like what makes us uniquely human is this i is this moral reasoning, and when we yeah. fail to do, when we stop doing that, when we then we become something other than human. Yeah. in a practical way.
0: And and Milosh in the essay I referred to, you know, Milosh puts it very strongly. He's cause he's Polish. He's writing, mm-hmm. at, you know, ground zero for the Holocaust. Right. And he makes the comment, the effect of, you know, if we lose sight of common human nature, and, he, and mm-hmm. he's actually made in the image right. of God, but if we lose sight of common human nature as having a moral structure, he said, it's just a short step, he says, to young men in clean uniforms, uh, shooting, executing other people while munching on a ham sandwich. It's a very right. sort of powerful image
1: of, you know,
0: ordinariness and horror.
1: Uh, and, I, and that's and, something he had seen. I mean, he yeah, he knew it, that that's what yeah. happens.
0: This is the whole, you know, this is right. this is the Einsatzgruppen, you know, operating in in occupied Poland. Right. Uh, so he's making a connection there. That Lewis, I think, is making less dramatically, but the underlying point that the loss of uh, moral structure of human nature has catastrophic consequences is clear. And then when you move forward to, you know, we're 20, you know, we're almost a quarter of the way into the 21st century. You know, what do we have? Well, we have, you know, one in 20 Canadians now dying as a result of assisted suicide. Right. Um, we have, uh, you know, the backlash against the fall of Roe v. Wade has been mm-hmm. very, spoken very eloquently about how people right and left yeah. don't have much of a problem with abortion. Uh, We have catastrophic levels of casual violence in in, in inner city.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: We have have the way people talk to each other online in very dehumanized kind of ways. We have sexual perversions being paraded well, you know, forget LGB stuff. We're, right. we're way out there with BDSM. Yeah, that's
1: old fashioned now. Just L- Yeah, um, is, is. <laughs> you
0: know, What what Lewis is pointing to in, in a sort of philosophical way, we now see the, the consequences. And when you watch these programs on TV where, you know, the comedian goes up to somebody in the street and says, you know, is, you know, is it wrong to do X? And the person is struggling to give an, answer it comes in well well i don't like that but hey if yeah. it works for you right. that's exactly the kind of world that that mm-hmm. lewis is predicting in the abolition of man
1: you know it was interesting um lewis writing this during the second world war um in in one of the books i've read in the last five years or so on the rise of of nazism one of the things that struck me is how often and this was particularly true in the 30s it, it started to shift Further into the war, but 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 with the rise of Nazism, one of the things that you saw all the time, even with like Himmler, Mm. is that they were they were almost at pains to talk about how their their uh, what what they were recommending for the Jews and saying about the Jews did not come out of malice. It was just science. Yeah. Um. You know this. You know. Listen, we don't we don't hate them. We we know that there's plenty of 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 Jewish people that that you may like. Um, that might might have done you a good turn. Um, uh, this isn't about hate or anything like that. This is just yeah. we're we're just doing science here. In other words, yeah. um, uh, uh, and again, the 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 chest is gone at that point. You know, yeah. all all I'm doing is just processing information.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the, you know, and that's why the the you know the prequel to the the elimination of the Jews was, of course, the euthanasia program of the 1930s where. Yeah you know, kiddies with encephalitis would be, would be euthanized because that's the right. merciful thing. That's do. right. It's just science. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even, even, you know, you move to the present day, we get similar arguments. Um,
1: For transgenderism. Well, this is just, yeah, yeah. this is just well, the science. Do you not believe, you know, the science on this or whatever?
0: Yeah. And even the language use. you know, Iceland has eliminated Down syndrome.
1: Right. No, they haven't. Think
0: about that. No, it hasn't. It's eliminated people. Right. With Down syndrome. Exactly. Uh, you know, somebody's decided that people with Down syndrome actually make the world worse. Right. And everybody's right. bored into that. And, That's right. And this right. is exactly the kind of stuff that, that C.S. Lewis was predicting.
1: It, it's, it's, it's an inhuman, an inhumane. You know, we have, we have a word for this, inhumane, meaning this is not consistent yeah. with a human because a human has, has been gifted with moral reasoning. Yeah. And so if, yeah. you, if you destroy children with Down syndrome, you know, that's, you know there, there was a generation that would have caused, yeah. called that inhumane, inconsistent yeah. with being human. Yeah. Well, there's, a the wonderful,
0: there's the wonderful article by my good friend Fran Mayer at First Things on describing how he felt when he discovered that his youngest son, Dan, had Downs. Mm. Uh, and he talks beautifully there about how much joy and richness Dan has brought into the world, how mm-hmm. his other children will never not see disabled people, will never fail to, to understand uh, the predicaments of those you mm-hmm. are struggling with, with disabilities. And you read that article and you think, yeah, Fran realises that Dan is a human being, right? And and therefore his existence enriches the life of all those right. with whom he comes into contact. And I think right. that's exactly the kind of thing that that Lewis is worried about losing when mm. he writes uh, the abolition. Remarkably right. prophetic text.
1: Incredibly, yeah. So we would, you know, we would encourage you again. Um, I, I know a lot of folks because you love to read C.S. Lewis, and for good reason. He was a wonderful writer and then you end up picking abolition of man and and uh wondering what in the world you're reading it's 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 esoteric it's philosophical but um hopefully our discussion here has helped a little bit um for you to if if you put it down go back to it and think about it in kind of some of the categories we've talked about. I hope that's what our folks will do.
0: And it's very, very brief as well. It is. I mean, you're talking about 90 pages. Right. Like, you know, you it's read three it through. lectures, and those were fairly yeah.
1: brief lectures. Yeah.
0: Read it through, and then read it again. And there's a, I've forgotten the name of the author, but there is a wonderful commentary written actually by a Catholic priest, I think, mm. in Oxford. It's entitled, I think, After Humanity. Yes, and I have a, that.
1: That's sitting on my desk right now.
0: It's a wonderful book, and it, I mean, it's, it probably, it's probably four times the length of the original. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it is. He he is to C.S. Lewis what Greg Beale is to the Book of Revelation, right. but not, not quite to the same extent. Yes, but there are some many, many good books out there that will uh, enable you to to, to get access mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to uh, to 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 Lewis's arguments. Yeah. So. We hope the discussion uh, of C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man has, has helped you. Uh, as always, Lewis writes so beautifully. Uh, you cannot fail to have your own English improved, I think, when you read uh, C.S. Lewis. So, recommend that book to you. If you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can enter for a chance to win not the Abolition of Man, because we are unable to. Uh, chisel any freebies out of the publisher, but a chance to win the medieval mind of C.S. Lewis, How Great Books Shaped a Great Mind.
1: And that's a good by book. Jason
0: Baxter. It's a good book. And a reminder to us all that, you know, reading great books is a way of, of improving our minds. So recommend you go to our website while you're there. If you feel led, please make a donation to uh, Mortification Spin. We are a listener-supported Podcast. We'd also recommend that you go to uh, the Alliance website and, and look there for the uh, PCRT that's occurring in March this year in uh, Lansing and in
1: um, Brinmar.
0: Proclamation in Bryn Mawr. Yeah, yeah. I, I went. My mind went blank. Yeah. Uh, speakers: Peter Jones, Aaron Wren, and the Alliance's very own Richard Phillips speaking about, you know, the Christian in the a, in, in a modern and hostile world, some of the very things that Lewis was anticipating will, I'm sure, be addressed at that conference. So in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us today. And we look forward to being with you in two weeks time.